we're still, I'm sorry, stuck in John chapter 19, and we're going to focus today on what it means to worship in John 19. I, and you've heard me say this before, I don't know that church is for worship. Uh, I think church is where we praise. I think church is where we study and learn. I think church is where we use our hands. And it says in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The NIV says, this is your spiritual act of worship. So offering our bodies means doing things for God by doing things for others. A living sacrifice, doing things for God by doing things for others. And then uh, this living sacrifice, uh, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice means it needs to cost. As living sacrifices, as li- am I sacrificing for Christ while I'm here? Is it all for me? As living sacrifices... But here's the rest of it is holy and pleasing to God. What's my motive for doing this? What's my motive for sacrificing? It's my total motive for you. And then if I'm doing that, focus off of me, love expressed to God by by offering me up to the needs of others. This, Bob, this is your spiritual act of worship. So John 19, 25, he's on the cross and dying for the sins, sins of man. And before he says it is finished, he's got one more thing to do. And we alluded to this a little bit last time. One more thing to do. Uh, and it's very intimate that he's doing this out loud in front of everybody. And it says in verse 25, it begins like this. So that, so that is what they did. Standing near the cross were Jesus' mother, comma, his mother's sister, comma, Mary, the wife of, of Clopas, comma, and Mary Magdalene. And when he saw his mother, verse 26, standing there beside the disciple he loved, and, and it's so fun that John never says besides John because John's writing this book. And so he never refers to himself as John. He refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He said to her, woman, he is your son. And he said to this disciple who was John, she is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home, into his home. Verse 28 says, Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Verse 20, and to fulfill the scriptures, here it is right here. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked up a sponge in it and put it on a hyssop, that's important, hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. We know the word hyssop from two other passages. Hyssop is this long, willowy branch uh, with a lot of little teeny leaves, uh, and he, in uh, Exodus 12, 22, drain each lamb's blood from a basin, then take a cluster of hyssop branches and dip it into the lamb's blood. Strike the hyssop against the top and sides of the doorframe, stain it with the blood. And remember, no one is allowed to leave the house until morning because that night is the night the death angel came across Egypt and wiped out the firstborn of Egypt. So the hyssop branch in the lamb's blood, the hyssop branch over Jesus, the lamb's blood. It says in Hebrews 19.19, and uh, for after Moses had given the people all the laws, he took the blood of the calves, goats, uh, along with the water, and sprinkled both the, uh, the, the book of God's law and all the people using branches of hyssop and scarlet wool. This, the symbolism here is anybody who knew their Bible Back then, anyone who knew uh, the Jewish uh, Bible, the Old Testament, had to go, oh, but they didn't. They were all into themselves. 
They were all into, we got rid of him now. We're not going to lose control of the temple. We got rid of him. Yeah, it is finished. Now, where's Joseph? It's believed that Joseph has long since died. And I know Catholic tradition says that there were no other kids. She was a virgin. All the, She had tons. Mary had tons of kids. Jesus was the oldest. In fact, her son, James, none of the boys were believers at this point. Uh, they will become believers. And James, the next in line, uh, Jesus is from a human perspective, uh, James was Jesus' next brother, will become pastor of the first church and write the book of James. It's absolutely amazing. But this perfect choice of picking John, John is the only one that wouldn't be martyred. All the rest were martyred. All the rest of the disciples. John will live a long, long uh, time and then uh, uh, write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and then uh, he will write uh, John, but he will also, this book, and then he'll also go on to write Revelation. So it's the perfect choice. Because if he didn't do this, she would become a beggar. His mom would become a beggar. You know, and, and so I'm, take, I'm taking, even on the cross, this is what's amazing. No distractions here. She's your mother. Woman, he's your son. Even on the cross, even in incredible pain, even while the world is mocking him, and even while he's going to change the world forever with this sacrifice, even with all of that in his pain, he's doing ministry. I knew a man like that. His name was Rick Hornsby, and some of you guys have heard me talk about him. Rick Hornsby uh, was huge, huge, and a friend of yours too, a huge in my life. Rick Hornsby was a man who really believed God could. And during my discouraging times, when we lost our first choice of, of a 47-acre campus, uh, prior to that, lost a 29-acre campus, and it was Hornsby that told me to go after the 57-acre, the 60-acre campus on Flamingo Road, and I'm looking at him, and I said, you know, I made a call on that, and uh, that real estate's going for half a million an acre, uh, and you've heard the story, and, and he said, just let's go make an offer, and offered 50000 an acre instead of 500000 an acre, and the owner countered with 53000 an acre, and Hornsby's ecstatic, and I'm not ecstatic at all because that's $3.1 million. And at lunch, he says, why, why are you? I said, we just made a commitment of $3.1 million. And I know he wanted to say, again, I have to deal with you. Again, I have to deal with you. And uh, he said, how much does Sheridan House have? $10,000, I said. We have $10,000. And he says, good, it's going to be all God. You're going to have another story. And I was, I was upset with him. You know, you go back to your electric company. Uh, I, I house and watching basically people in churches all by an acre each uh, was amazing. The picture here is Hornsby, last year of his life, has no top of a head. He got brain cancer, among other things, double lung transplant, no top of a head, and he's calling for people to come see him in his last week, sharing the gospel. His previous partner, and it was almost impossible to sit by his bed and look at him. And he's sharing the gospel, and he made his partner, I don't know what, ha what happened, made his partner say the prayer. you got to do this before you leave. you got to do this before you leave. And his wife, Debbie, is standing up top of the bed just sobbing. She's been sending me, he, he had a devo, I gave him a devo, a devotional book 30 years ago that he continued to use and write things in it. And every time there's the word Sheridan House, a prayer for Sheridan House that he wrote in there, she'll text it to me in the morning. I thought, wow, it just wasn't about him. Yeah, this picture here, learning, it says in Genesis 26, 24, where the Lord appeared, Isaac, to Isaac, where the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival, Isaac arrives in the new land and says, I am the Lord, 
I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you and will bless you. I will give you many descendants, and they will become a great nation. I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Then Isaac did three things, and there's a priority here. Then Isaac built an altar there, number one, an altar to worship the Lord. Number one in your life is God. He set up his camp in that place. Number two, he took care of his family. Set up the tents, set up the camp, took care of his family. Number three, he dug a well to take care of his flock, his business. Somehow we get it backwards. Somehow, sometimes we justify working hard and and working extra hours and doing business uh, the way we do business because I'm going to take care of my family with this. And I missed this for 10 plus years. I was going to be the Sheridan House Messiah, and I was working all the time until God backed me off. I don't need you, Bob. And he backed me off by Rosemary almost dying in the hospital. I don't need you. Work hard. Go home. Your number one priority, son, is to take care of your wife. After, after me. Number one, he worshiped God. Number two, set up camp for his family. Number three, his job. Number one on your outline, Jesus dying, Jesus dying on the cross is showing us the priority of ministry responsibility to our family, to our family. All this going on publicly so that we would see it. Publicly, he's saying, John, take care of my mom. Now I can go. Why do we miss that? Not you guys, but other people. Why do people in our culture miss that God first, family second? Why is it that it's often work first, then God, I, I mean, I'm, then God, and my, my family? And when we do family, we spend our lives dropping, them, dropping our kids and grandchildren off at activities and soccer and sports and forget they desperately need to be with us. My nine-year-old grandson now likes to, Rosemary jogs every day which is why she looks like she looks like, and I don't, I have a car. I'm not jogging two miles. I use the car to go two miles. And so Reuben now likes, likes to jog with her, and the depth of their conversations are unbelievable. And he's got a kid in, in his class last year who had no arm from here down and had a um, prosthesis instead, and he's asking Rosemary about it, and uh, she tells him the story of R.A. Torrey Jr. R.A. Torrey Jr. was in Japan, uh, doing ministry, and Madam Chiang Kai-shek, it turns out, had gone to Macon College with Mercer, I'm sorry, Mercer, with my, her, Rosemary's grandmother. So Chiang Kai-shek got in touch with him during the war, when the communists were taken over. And on the way, mar- marching out and escaping China with Chiang Kai-shek to Taiwan, Ari Tori lost his arm uh, in a jeep accident. And so... He comes back to the States, they come back to the States uh, and gets fitted for a prosthesis, a hook, basically, and uh, uh, wondering, what's going to happen with me now? And Washington, D.C., the president calls him and says, we want to set up an amputee uh, ward in uh, South Korea uh, for the wars. Would you go over and run it? And he says, you do know I'm a pastor, right? And whoever he met with in Washington laughed, and, I said, and they said, yeah. So he said, if I go, it's going to be ministry. And he went over, and he set up a place called Jesus Abbey that's there today. Uh, and his son, R.A. Torrey III, ran it for years, and now R.A. Torrey IV, uh, Rosemary's age, is over there running it. And all because of this seeming tragedy of losing an arm. To go over and identify with these Korean soldiers, et cetera, who've lost appendages and share Christ with them. 
Christ first, he's got you covered. Family second. And I think one of the challenges with family second is we're not sure what to do with them. And ministry last. Yeah, again, number two, prioritizing family ministry is such an important lesson that Jesus took time in his own agony to teach it publicly. I heard a guy describe Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the guy said, these are centrifugal circles. Jerusalem is your family. Judea is the people around you that you have in common with. Judea. Samaria is out there. And then to the ends of the earth. But I can't skip family. I can't skip family. Number three, when discussing ministry to, to family, we need to look in two directions. Letter A, to the young who depend upon us, the care and training of our children. And I would add grandchildren in my case now. Children and grandchildren. My grandma, before I was a Christian, out in Colorado, and you've heard the story, I never saw her again after my mom's funeral when I was 16. And when I was in my 40s, we were taking a trip around America and we were to go visit her, but I'd never seen her. And, but she would send me from, from 16 until I came to Christ in 20, my mom's death. She would send me a letter almost every week. And I remember thinking, this letter is so obnoxious. And it was all about Jesus and all about Jesus and all about Jesus. And I'm praying for you and praying for you and praying for you and all about Jesus. I'd make fun of the letters on a, when I was a freshman in college. And uh, then when I was a sophomore in college and trying to get a date with Rosemary, and she leads me to Christ instead, which is that's not what I was heading towards, but trying to get a date with Rosemary, she leads me to Christ. A couple of other things happen on the campus, and I'm getting ready to buy books. It's the start of the winter semester. I'm getting ready to buy books, and my grandma sends me a check that's the exact amount I need for the books. That's, I went and found Rosemary. Okay. So my grandma is dying at 90-something, and uh, was dying when we were taking this trip, and I set an appointment to meet with her, and you've heard this. She dies after watching her favorite Sunday television show, uh, D. James Kennedy, Coleridge Hour, whatever they called it, and except that I was in the pulpit. And dies that afternoon. And my aunt, my Aunt Judy, who was a senator in Colorado, calls and tells me the whole story. Because she called and said, Bobby's on television. Bobby's in, in, in Kennedy's pulpit. And she's done now. She didn't need to pray for me anymore. And she gets the privilege of going home. Yeah, to the young who depend upon us, the care and training of our children. But here's another one. And looking around this room, this is, getting, this is not possible for all of us. Letter B, to the elderly who depend upon us, the care and compassion of our elderly parents. So when Rosemary's parents were in Lakeland, in a retirement center, and they're dying. She drove every Thursday. She did her Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday Bible study. Every Thursday, she drove to Lakeland uh, to spend two or three days, forever and ever and ever and ever. The picture here is, Bob, I've put you in this situation. And can I say the elderly in Israel were taken care of by their family, but if there were no, no family, they became beggars, especially the women. They became beggars. I mean, Naomi, remember Naomi? She returned home when she was a widow, and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, took care of her and went begging in the fields to feed them. So the, there's a picture here of taking care of the least powerful, the least able, the least worthy, 
maybe least able to produce anything. So, number four, what is our scriptural responsibility to our parents? If your parents are still around? I mean, Eric, I mean, it, it's cool the way you go up there to check on your mom and dad. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Brent Burns. Brent Burns is the president of, uh, of JM Family. Lyle Burns uh, was a volunteer working here with the little children. And I was having lunch with Brent. And he said, uh, I said I'm going to miss the morning phone calls. And I said, what does that mean? He said, I, I live here in Fort Lauderdale. I would drive up to Hillsboro, up A1A. And I'd talk to my dad for almost an hour every single morning. And I wanted to say, what are you talking to him about? And just talks every, every morning on his way to work. Wow. My responsibility, if your parents are still alive, uh, Deuteronomy 5.16, honor your father and mother. Exodus 20.12, honor your father and mother. Matthew 15.3, Jesus replied, and why do you by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God. For instance, God says, honor your father and mother. Anyone who speaks evil of a father or mother must be put to death. Wow. Wow. So the picture here is to honor the parents, elderly around us. It was so funny. When I was here for that, uh, that short period, and I'd be outside... And a friend, another pastor came and wanted to stand with me outside and just see how the whole outside thing goes before church starts. And he said, uh, wow, you must be eye candy for 85-year-old ladies. And I said, what does that mean? He said, they all come up and give you a hug. And I said, you know, I think some of them haven't been touched in a long time. Some of these widows have just not been, they just want the touch. They haven't been touched. Yeah, honor, honor. So number five on your outline, Jesus in Scripture are adamant. We are to honor the needs of our elderly by making their needs our priority. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 4, honor your father and your mother. And then he goes on and he says to them, when you don't do this, your worship in verse 9 is a farce. My worship is what I do. My worship is how much I give up in what I do. It's not all for me. Heaven is all for you. In a, in a manner of speaking, I don't mean this as bad as it sounds, we should almost have a death wish. We should, oh, you don't have to go, you get to go. And Paul saying, to live, if I live, I live for Christ. If I go to heaven, it's all for me. It'll be amazing. So while I'm here, Paul's saying, while I'm here living for Christ, what more can I sacrifice for the needs of the people around me? For the bringing up of a generation, and can I say, I feel horrible for the generation that's in middle school and high school, what we're leaving them, unless a, the great revival comes. And I'm, I'm, I'm praying for that, and honestly, we're seeing it in Western Broward. I cannot believe what's happening in Western Broward, and the churches that are exploding, I mean, expo Roby's church, you know, from this teeny little church of of 70 to over 2,000 in seven or eight years. It's, they're just exploding. And it, can I say, it's not an easy gospel. It's not a make you, make you feel good. He's a Tim Keller with humor, and he slams it home. And I'm watching uh, this woman that Rosemary's bringing to church now. Her eyes are getting huge. Um, wow, I never heard it. 
that strong. Yeah, we got to give it up. So you spend me today, Lord. Because, therefore I urge you, therefore I urge you, Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what he's done for you, in view of what he's going to do for you, the mercy you get later on, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Lord, spend me. So, we're finishing up with the, with the second triplex and getting ready to build the third triplex uh, for single moms. And uh, it's very cool because the owner of the concrete company um, buys all the concrete for the slab, um, Warren, Warren Concrete, and Jolie Warren comes out with his grandsons and works the concrete on Saturdays. He wants his grandsons to give it up. And I, I know his kids. His kids are amazing. But watching him out there... Um, just teaching them how to work and, and constantly tell them, isn't this fun? And I know, and I went out there one Saturday just to be with them. Isn't this fun doing this for free? And I know that the 12-year-old is thinking, did you hit your head on something? <laughs> it's not fun. And watching them. But in the years to come, people will drive by and, and show their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And there's a guy, one of our, one of our buildings, the George, George and Ann Meyer Children's Home, uh, George Jr., who lives in Wisconsin and comes to town every now and then, and I see his, I see a car out there that I don't recognize. It's a rental, and I go out, and he just comes and parks the car in front of the house that his dad built. Period. Teaching your children to give it up. Teaching your children to give it up. This is your spiritual act of work. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices with the right motive, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is it. Yeah, James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So on Saturdays, uh, when I've got the tourist boys with me, the, the six-year-old and nine-year-old, actually they're seven and ten now, seven and ten-year-old, and we're bringing the garbage cans back in and watching my grandchildren go next door to the widow who's next door, and bring her, her trash can in, uh, finally without being told or asked. And they get it. And they almost run to see who can get there first, doing the extra, teaching them to go the extra mile. Yeah, taking care of widows and orphans. I, I, when I saw this passage this summer of Jesus, the last thing he does is take care of his mom in his pain about to just last breath. It's finished. It's completed. Not only is this completed, but I took care of my earthly responsibility as an all, all human, all God. Took care of it here. Yeah. Number six, ministry to our elderly is really part of our worship of Christ and offering of Christ. So Mr. Rich, uh, there used to be a, a, a business in Hollywood called Sheridan Lumber. Is it still there? No, it's not there anymore. It, way in Sheridan Street, almost to US 1, Sheridan Lumber. And I was going in uh, because somebody told me that there's a man who sharpens saw blades in a little shed behind that. And I decided I, I want to take the Sheridan House saws because I'd never seen anybody sharp, sh sharpen a saw blade. I didn't know you could do that. In my world, you just buy a new saw. And so he's, he's in, the, uh, in this little shed, and I walk in, and Mr. Rich, uh, your, your daughter actually told me that you do this, 90 years old. And so I'm, I'm being nice to this old man, really nice. And Mr. Rich, what are you doing? Can I go get a seat of water? And he said, sure. And I come back, and I look, 
and there are verses all over. And uh, I said, what is that? I said, I memorize verses out here. And I said, well, how much have you memorized? He says, well, I've memorized the book of Isaiah. <laughs> I mean, I'm working hard on one verse at a time, the book of Isaiah. And so I just, when I was in the neighborhood, I would just stop by with more water, realizing I'm not ministering to him. He set me up again. He's ministering to me, this really, really great man. Yeah. Matthew 25, 33. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. This is Jesus. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your house. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. Two things there. One is, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for you, and this is my opportunity to do this for you. But one commentator actually believed that there are times that he visits. Don't know what that means. There are times that we have been a blessing, not realizing who we were blessing. And it's that Muslim lady that I thought was Muslim that I saw on the side of the road at Flamingo uh, turning onto Griffin, and she was there with two children. Please help me with my rent. And I, 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 I don't do this, but I was burdened for those two little ones, and I gave her 20 bucks. And, uh, and then uh, and I wanted to say to her, and I wanted to say to her, this is from Jesus. And she grabbed my arm from out there up my window and said, thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I was so shocked. And I was dropping Rosemary off to get the car, her car, as I'm dropping her off to get her car, then back home, and uh, I pull into the ATM, and she said, you're getting more money. And I said, uh, I, I, yeah. And so I went to the ATM and got some more money and pulled up and gave her some money, and she burst into tears and thanked me again, and the guy's honking behind me as I'm getting ready to do a U-turn. And she said, I'm sure you gave her your Sheridan House card so she could come for help. I said, I, I can't go back a third time. And it's about a mile from our house. I said, you got to go. Would you go give her a Sheridan House card so she can come for Rosemary goes, calls me on the way back. She's gone. I said, what do you mean she's gone? She's gone. I said, what do you think that means? She said, either you gave her enough to pay her rent or that was an angel testing you. And I so wish she hadn't said the second part. Um, but the bottom line here is you don't know. It's all motive. All motive. When you did it, to one of the least of these, pointing, my brothers and sisters. Wor you, you, did it for, you were doing it for me. Worship is how you live. Worship is how you give. And worship is why you give. Why are you doing this? For him. Totally and completely for him. And he said to the, this disciple, she is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home.
you know, the person I know who does best at this is my wife. At the end of the year, Bible study, we don't pay Rosemary to teach. She teaches huge, two huge Bible studies. And at the end of the year, they always take an offering and give her the money. And this is a little girl who grew up in a third world country and made all her own clothes. She, she really didn't, and she was on the homecoming court at our, at our university with her homemade clothes. Um, and so, you know, not, go buy things. And, uh, and we didn't have any money for the first 20 years at Sheridan House. She saves it in an envelope and spends the rest of the year giving it all away. Leaving big, big tips for waitresses or finding somebody in her Bible study who she knows is in need or asking, you know, for prayer requests and, I, well, I need to get my car repaired. Gives it all away. Bob, I have a closet full of clothes now. I'm good. I'm good. You were rescued to rescue. You were rescued to rescue. The ultimate rescue will be in heaven. It'll be amazing. My back won't hurt in heaven. I won't even need hearing aids in heaven. You were rescued to rescue. This is the way we will turn this country around when we go wacko for Jesus. Not with our mouths, with our efforts, with our resources, all for the right motive and people. This little girl, probably 45 years old, is following Rosemary to church because Rosemary cares, is generous, and took her out to lunch once. You're rescued to rescue.